Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I, and sometimes Kelly, are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know some love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whichever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. (laughs) This is the November 13th episode. We are finished with 2 Kings into 1 Chronicles. And this will be interesting because first and second chronicles is like a reaccounting of all of the kings. Like yes. Every time you see in Kings where it says you can read more about King whatever in the Chronicles of the mm-hmm. Kings, that's what it's talking about is first and second chronicles. So we're basically gonna go through these stories again, which is fantastic because we're mm-hmm. still in the prophets and the prophets are speaking into these time periods, which I just can't get enough of seeing all of this all working together. I pulled up a timeline the other day. Did you? When I was writing and it was like the kings and the prophets. It was a good one. I should find it again and print it out. Well, I can't remember. I don't think it's Manasseh. Although Manasseh, we hear he like actually sacrifices his children to Moloch. Mm -hmm. But there's one of the kings. I don't think it's Manasseh. One of them actually rips open pregnant women. Yes. It's disgusting. It's awful. I think it's after Manasseh maybe. But there was something, I think it's before Manasseh. I thought it was last week. But what's cool, terrible, cool about that is in Hosea, it says, chapter 13 at the end, it says, now Samaria has to face the charges because she has rebelled against her God. Her people will be killed. Babies smashed on the rocks. Pregnant women ripped open. Oh, that's probably what I was thinking of. Yeah, well, it talks about that in Hosea 13, but it, we actually see that happen in Second King. Like we see mm-hmm. a king doing that in Second Kings, and I think that's where like all of this stuff like meshing together is like, oh, he's talking to these people. This is all. The, I mean, I mm-hmm. I know this, I do know it, but still, like I've just never read the Bible this way. It hasn't connected the same way before now no. that I'm reading the two at the same time. Yeah, yeah, like you're seeing what's happening with the kings, and you're hearing God speak to them in books mm-hmm. much late, later in the same book. And to see this book as like not a linear story, but a story mm-hmm. that's interwoven is really, mm-hmm. it's powerful. I've been surprised at how much I've just enjoyed the story of the Kings. I mean, it's, it's not a pretty story. <laughs> the large majority of them are train wrecks and they're evil and don't follow the law at all or follow even worship the right God. But I have enjoyed the story of it. Having read through significant prophets, Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel, Hosea, and then to be reading things like Mark 13, which is talking about both like the destruction of the temple that happens shortly after Jesus dies, like within 30 years, but also talking about the end of times, like when he actually is finally going to come, like, so like he's playing the role of prophet, you know, doing just what they're doing, where they're talking about what's about to come mm-hmm. real soon, but what's still to like things that we're still waiting for to happen now that we know are going to be fulfilled. And my weekly truth, I think a couple of weeks ago where I said like this, none of this should be a surprise to us. Like none of the things that are happening right now should be any surprise to us. Mm-hmm. And then to read in 
Second Kings chapter 24, verse 13, maybe. Well, starting at 12, it says, In the eighth year of his reign, Jehoiachin was taken prisoner by the king of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar emptied the treasuries of both the temple of God and the royal palace and confiscated all the gold furnishings that Solomon, king of Israel, had made for the temple of God. This should have been no surprise. God had said it would happen. And then he emptied Jerusalem of people, all its leaders and soldiers. And I was just thinking, like, this is so, um, I don't know. It's like uh, vertigo, deja vu, kind of like, just kind of makes you go like, you're like looking in and looking out and looking in and looking yes. out. Like, oh my gosh, like this is, like, we are the same people. Like it, it, we could almost hear God saying the same thing to us. It's like, you, this should have come as no surprise to you. This is what's, this is all the things that have to take place before I can come. I don't know how to describe it other than that, like perspective, yeah. like, is that back and forth, like we're in, we're out, we're in, we're out. And I don't know. It's cool. Really cool. Yeah, that is interesting. Cause that's what Jesus is saying to them. Basically, he's telling them what we can expect in the end times, not as a prophet uh, in rebuke, but as a comforter and friend, because he's talking to his disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, like his closest friends. And he's, he's not saying it as a rebuke. He's saying it as like a comforter to say like this stuff, like, this is going to happen, but take courage. Mm -hmm. The Holy, it's like the one of the only times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in Mark, but he says, take courage, the Holy Spirit will be with you. One of our members brought that to my attention, like just the tone of it. She's like, this is all written in red. Like, this is the voice of Jesus. And one of the other members was like, yeah, like she just was, she started weeping. She's talking about how she had read the passage and she was walking down her old like hometown. And she felt like God was kind of like, it was like, he was saying, like Jesus was saying all of these things to her, like with his kind of like his arm wrapped around her and been like, like, this is all gonna, it's all gonna come crashing down. Things are gonna get hard, but take courage. I'm coming like just such a. I was like, that's really good. I'm going to reread this whole passage with that yeah. company tone in mind. You know? Yep. I don't think I've ever read it that way. Yeah, me either. So cool. Hi, I just wanted to take a quick break to let you know about a couple of great resources we have for you. First, did you know that we have two podcasts? I know, it's confusing. But we have this one, the recap, where we highlight our takeaways from the Bible reading plan. But we also have one called the Dive Collective Podcast, on which we highlight the gifts and talents and stories of our members. We have three great interview episodes already up, but we have more coming soon. So you're going to want to access those on both Google and the Apple Podcast platforms. We also have a couple of excellent free Bible reading resources on our website at divecollective.org. When you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get weekly emails with a devotion to start your week and a free download of the Bible reading plan. And we also have a dive guide in the shop. So check the shop out too while you're there. So head on over to divecollective.org to grab your free resources soon. First Chronicles was a list of names this week, right? Nothing. I kept digging through, like as I was reading, names that stuck out that I recognized. So I also often forget. So Judah. (laughs) Judah's a big deal. Like David is from the line of Judah. But Judah was a train wreck. You know, like Judah's the one who Tamar tricks into sleeping with her. Like he's the, he's the one, I forgot that that it was that Judah, Jacob's son, like the Judah of the 12 Mm -hmm. tribes of Judah. Mm -hmm. He was the one. And we wouldn't have a redeemer through him if Tamar hadn't. Right. Yeah. I don't know where I wrote it. Oh, not even David. Okay. So Josiah, Josiah's picking up the pieces. He's like, 
the word of God just happens to be found and they bring yes. it to Josiah and Josiah has it read. And he was like, what the crap? Like, what have we right. like, This is not good right. people. And he's like, right. And the fact this was new information to him. Like he yes. had no, like they find the scroll and he hears it and is broken because yes. he had no idea. But at the same time, he recognizes like, okay, this is true. Like this is from the one true God. We need to listen to this. Like that I thought was and he's pretty like, incredible. It's like Hezekiah. Yeah. It was like Hezekiah, then Manasseh, who was a, tr- Hezekiah was faithful. Manasseh, mm-hmm. his son was atrocious. Uh-huh. And then Josiah, I think is either right after Manasseh or a couple, just a couple generations after Manasseh. Yeah, it's not it's like far, happens real soon. Yeah. Boom, boom, one boom. More, I think. Mm-hmm. So faithful king, atrocious king, and then Josiah, who should have been within earshot of Hezekiah, like not so many generations removed, has no idea what they're supposed to be doing and has right. to do the same thing Hezekiah did all over again, which is destroy all of these um, right. phallic and foreign god things yeah. that are all over the place. He has to re-undo what Manasseh redid after <laughs> Hezekiah right. undid it. Anyway, yeah. so Josiah is super repentant and does all these things. And God is like, this is all well and good. And I will forgive, like, I will forgive you and I will relent for a period of time. But what's my judgment has already been set in motion mm-hmm. and I will let you pass before it comes to pass. Mm-hmm. But what I found interesting about that passage that I, it says in second Kings 23, starting in verse 22 through 23, it says this command, this commanded Passover had not been celebrated since the days that the judges judged Israel. None of the kings of Israel and Judah had celebrated it. Not even David. If that's what I'm reading. Yeah. Yeah. And not Hezekiah. And not Hezekiah. Not crazy. That is pretty crazy. From the time of the judges through the entire time of the kings. So it stopped during the time of the judges. Right. And then they never picked it back up again until Josiah. And then Josiah's like, oh, we're going to celebrate the Passover because we should have been doing this all along. Right. I kind of, I should probably spend more time thinking about that. But like, it's never too late. It's never too late to start doing the things mm-hmm. that God shows you to do. So that was one thing. And then the other thing that I noticed was like, we get through, we're coming to the end of Second Kings. We're seeing Nebuchadnezzar comes and he's um, acting out God's judgment that God said was going to happen for years and years. And I was thinking about how, like, I look at the prophets, you see like the judgment of God from Mm -hmm. his wrath that's coming because they weren't faithful, but like, you just, all you see is that like snapshot of God's response to what the people had been doing. But after reading first and second Kings, we're in two, like we've gone through a long period of God's slow to angerness. Like, oh yeah. Slow to angerness and mercy, like mixed in with the slow to anger, there's mercy and compassion everywhere. Like, yes. yes. But I just, it was kind of like, he says he's a God that's slow to anger. And if you just look at the prophets, it doesn't seem like he's slow. Yes. But if you read first and second Kings as a whole, all your, you're just generations and generations and generations of complete and total. That's a really good point. Yeah. It's like, wow, you are slow to anger. Like you're so slow to anger. Wait till the second Chapter 25 of Second Kings is when Nebuchadnezzar finally comes. Mm-hmm. So many kings in Israel and Judah before God is finally like, we're done here. Yeah. We're done. Yeah. It's crazy. 
to Hosea with us. Hosea and Joel and Amos. Yeah, and that's what I was just looking at. Hosea ends, Hosea is judgment, but it ends with restoration. Well, the whole, Hosea isn't just judgment. Hosea is like, that's what I love about Hosea. Well, right. I didn't realize the, how much it was about his like. His undying love. Unending. Yeah. Bounds, like nothing can keep me from loving you. Yes. It's like a reprieve almost from Isaiah and Ezekiel. And yeah, John. that's true. I wonder, I've actually thought, like when I read it through this time, I picture Hosea, when I think of Hosea, I think of the story of Hosea and the prostitute. Like that's mm-hmm. what I think of, but that's such like a little tiny bit of it. Tiny. It's yeah. not the story. <laughs> yes. So when I was reading through it this time, it was like back and forth between God's frustration with Israel and their sin and his compassion on them. But I wonder if I, like, I'm curious to read it in the message. Like, I wonder if I would get a different feeling. No, I was expecting. (laughs) Okay. So this is where like, we should talk about how when you read fictional portrayals of like the word of Redeeming love and Hosea are drastically different. (laughs) Drastically different. (laughs) Because it turns out it's really not about a guy and his prostitute wife at all. Right. Right. I mean, you get that it's, it's so much true to all the other, like Ezekiel, I think is the only other, well, both Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you get these little snippets of them having to do things that don't make Mm -hmm. a lot of sense, but they're Mm -hmm. doing them because it's just a small like illustration of what God's Mm -hmm. trying to communicate in this big um, spiritual world. So yeah, that's really all you get of Gomer, the prostitute and Hosea is that God has Hosea marry this prostitute as just a small illustration Mm -hmm. of this bigger picture that he's trying to portray, which is that he's ma- that God has married a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a really, it's a beautiful book. So Joel, most likely his would have been, his message would have been given to Judah about 250 years before the Babylonian exile. So Joel is generations before where we are at the end of second Kings. Mm-hmm. Yep. That would have been before Isaiah, because Isaiah was with Hezekiah. Right. I think in general, it's it's just helpful to think about all the prophets happening during the kings. Yes, it is. That is helpful. I agree. And Amos is 175 years or so before Judah's exile. When I know that, that makes me think when I read Joel, Joel is prophesying what's going to happen with Babylon. And yet Jesus uses some of that same stuff to talk about the last days, like what's going to come. That's how it crosses. This is totally me thinking out loud, but that's how it spans. Like Joel's prophesying for that Babylonian exile. And then Jesus comes along and says, guess what? It's going to be pretty similar. And he's using those prophecies to also talk about what's to come still. We haven't even hit Hebrews. We go through Hebrews chapter seven or six. Eight. Oh, eight. Oh, did I not read the last? I didn't read the last chapter. Oh, Hebrews is so good. Yes, there is a section in Hebrews that, like, I mean, I read it this morning, and and I read it this morning, and I was like, there it is. Like, that's the okay. And it made me think of your question. Okay, so you mentioned the other night 
um, the section about when you walk away, that's it for you. Mm. Where is mm-hmm. that? It's in six. Okay. Yeah. So it's in six where it talks about those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted God's word and the powers and have fallen away. Like it's impossible to renew repentance for them is what it says. But then like a couple verses later, the thing that stuck out to me was that God is not unjust in the same context, but I just, it just reminded me, like, I don't know, it was comforting to me somehow. But before that, in chapter four, he's talking about rest and he talks, he quotes the passage where it's from Psalms that he swore in his anger, they will not enter my rest. And then on the seventh day, God rested. And again, he says, they will never enter my rest. And then in verse six, it says, therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, he again specifies a certain day, today. He specified this speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Because I read that before I read that passage in six the whole time I was reading Hebrews, I was like trying to find that passage that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. That just felt, I don't know. It just, as long as they're still today, it's Mm -hmm. not too late. Yes. They didn't because of disobedience. He again specifies a certain day today, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Yes. Well, I was just talking in um, one of the studies that we're doing with um, one of our members. We're talking about, um, she was, talking about, I think her experience, but she was talking about how at some point she said, I mean, I should have come to him at, you know, so long ago, but even now he's, he welcomes me or something like that. And I was like, we have to be so careful with the should anything that like anything that indicates like that there's any amount of responsibility on us for this. I mean, yes, we, we have to, go to him in order to accept it. In fact, it just says right here, let's walk right at the end of chapter four. It says, let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready Mm -hmm. to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. Like he's always Mm -hmm. waiting. The invitation is always there. He's always prepped and hoping like Boaz, it was like waiting for Ruth. He just needed her to ask. And he was like, yes, Mm -hmm. as soon as I won't Mm -hmm. let the sundown go down until I've made sure you're taken care of. So he feels like it was so kind of her to ask. She could have gone anywhere. That idea that like we should have come at any point besides the point that he calls us to, like whatever the day is, whatever the day is that we come, the invitation is always there. Mm -hmm. The invitation is always there and we just come. And so when the day that we come, there is no should. It's all taken care of at that point. Right. There's no, I should have done it then. It's just... You might as well have done it then. It's eternal. It's from, it goes, that redemption goes from generations before you to Adam and to generations after you to forevermore. Like, it's just not, there's not a time. I just, we're just such a, we are a people of, I should have, or, Mm -hmm. or I should be or whatever. And even as we're reading math or Mark 13 this week in our Bible studies, it's about that Jesus is coming back and there's all these things that like we should be doing, like we should be doing all of these things. But the truth is, is what Paul says is it's about the promise. Like it's about the promise and that he keeps the promise and we are faithful to the promise. He's Mm -hmm. promising, he's promising us that he's going to come again. And there's nothing that we should do except believe that what he's given us is going to be enough to get us to, to get us through. Like we're going to get there with him because he promised, he promised mm-hmm. that he was coming for us. This conundrum of like, yes, there's things that we, we are watching, we are waiting, we are doing the work, 
but we're not doing the work because it's going to get us there because it's going to get us into the kingdom. We're doing the work because it's what you said we should be doing while we're mm-hmm. waiting. But I love what you're saying. Like the today, today is the day and yeah. tomorrow today is the day. Yeah. As long as you have today, it's not too late. It made me think of a couple of weeks ago when we read through first Timothy in chapter two, it says, this is good. And it pleases God, our savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Like that's the heart of God. Like he's not pushing people away. You know what I mean? Like, as long as it's, like you said, the invitation is always there. Like he wants people to come to repentance. End of story. End of story. If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth dive studies where we model our process of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org under the studies tab. And we will see you next week.